0: hello there faithful viewers and welcome back to episode 5 of the hit or miss star trek podcast i am your usual host mike wilson uh, and I am joined this week uh, by another special guest. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself sir?
1: <laughs> hi I'm, uh, I'm Rick everson um, longtime Star Trek fan. really glad to be on on the show.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. One of the funniest uh, sort of Twitter usernames, sheer Ricking Hubris. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> never fails to make me laugh.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I was quite pleased with myself when I did that. Um, yeah. I, I, I think I've, I've recently changed it from Sacred Chalice of Ricks. Oh,
0: you? nice. See? <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like it. Um, so, yeah, we are going to be going through the usual uh, sort of... What's the word I'm looking for? The usual uh, categories and things that we do on the podcast. Uh, this is the fifth episode. There was one slightly different. But if you haven't been watching, basically, the first section is like a getting to know you type thing. I'll have a chat with, uh, with Rick and we'll explain uh, or he'll explain what kind of drew him to Star Trek and some of his favorites and things. Uh, the second part will be the hit or miss section uh, where I'll fire out just five random things from anywhere in the Star Trek universe. Uh, Just five this week, because we've got a long episode to review, uh, because after that, we'll get into the main episode review, which, as you'll have seen on the thumbnail, is the Deep Space Nine pilot, Emissary. Uh, So we both have, I think, a lot of thoughts and stories and stuff about that one. (laughs) (laughs) should be interesting. Um, Yeah, so without any further ado, I will start with section number one, uh, which is the section that I call Healing Frequencies Mm -hmm. Open. Uh, and this as i 've explained, is kind of a getting to know you type thing if you 've been watching the previous episodes then you 'll know what uh, what 's in store for you Rick <laughs> so um, just first of all the very first sort of question to ease you in is uh, what was it that first drew you to the world of Star Trek? Was there one particular episode that kind of hooked you in, and can you remember the first one you ever watched
1: <laughs> i ab- yeah I absolutely can um, it's very i 've got very distinct memories. I was in the Last year of junior school, um, and I was was aware of Star Trek, but I'd never watched it. I'd never seen it. No one in my family was into sci-fi, particularly. But um, one day at school, uh, a lad, Kieran was his name. I forget his surname, um, but um, (laughs) I distinctly remember him saying to me, um, did you watch Star Trek The Next Generation last night? I was like, no, I heard they'd done this new Star Trek show and it's not got Spock or Kirk or anything in it, but not that I'd ever seen Spock or Kirk really. Um, Fair enough. Um, so, uh, but he seemed quite enamored of it, so I thought, I'll give it a go. Sounds like it might be interesting. So, the following Wednesday night, six o'clock, BBC Two, um, as, as all uh, UK next gen viewers will remember. Um, I watched it, and the first episode I watched was The Naked Now. Oof. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, this always gets a laugh, because uh, it's not considered a brilliant episode.
0: Yeah, it's a bit it of a baptism is... of fire, that one. Really, isn't it?
1: it is, but it absolutely hooked me. It was, it was I would, absolutely loved it. I had no idea who these people were. But, you know, just over the course of the 45 minutes, I got completely sucked into the world. Mm. I loved it. It was uh, you know. Thought the captain sounds like really smart and sensible. I love the um, <laughs> the, the action guy, first officer. That uh, they have robots. Um, I didn't even know what a Klingon was, so you know, just war oh, was yeah. some alien to me at that point. Yeah. Um, but, but what always sticks in my mind as well is that in that episode they because obviously the, the Naked Now is a um, kind of a read a retell of an original series episode, The Naked Time. Right. Yeah. And I think that got me. I was like, oh wow. Oh, that's fantastic! That totally draws in. This this is just completely new. This this is a continuation, and I'm like, you know, a continuation of a series I still haven't seen, so I'm not sure why I'm so impressed. But you know, was, we're like, we're talking we're talking shared universe before Marvel ever thought of it.
0: Absolutely. So,
1: yeah, the fact that it it is not a great episode, I, I'd recognize the flaws, but you know that whatever anyone says about the Nick now, that's going to have a special place in my heart because absolutely. Yeah it sets off quite a thing.
0: Yeah, well, every episode's somebody's favourite, isn't it? Even though even though we laugh. I mean, it's not, it's not that I think it's terrible. It's just one of those really weird ones where it's a weird decision for me to, in your second episode, have everybody acting out of character before you've established what their characters are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I,
1: I remember reading Roddenberry's idea, but thinking behind it was... Um, Oh, if they all get drunk and open up, we'll get an idea of, you know, what these characters really like. Ah, um, okay. It turns out a lot of them are just really horny. So.
0: <laughs> is not always the way it does? <laughs> So, yeah, it's probably uh, fair to say that Next Gen would be your favourite series if you had to pick them.
1: It's, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of, a, it's almost a draw. Um, yeah. I recognise Deep Space Nine, as in, in my eyes, is is absolutely, I think, a superior series because, And it just, this is my opinion, you know, your own opinions may vary, but
0: Mm.
1: I adore Deep Space Nine, the story it wove, the the way it stretched the idea of Star Trek and pushed it in very different ways and really played with the idea of what the Federation actually meant and the impact that had on people beyond everything. But the next generation is like, that's like absolutely my, that's where I came in. You know, that's always going to have that comfort. It's like, that's my, almost my original family kind of thing. So... Yeah,
0: yeah that's it's, fair i think it's uh i think i can't remember where i read it but i think i read somewhere that it was like you, you'd love to live on the enterprise d but you'd love to watch the adventures from deep space nine it's yeah. a better adventure to watch but you wouldn't want to live through it kind of thing but uh no yeah. it's
1: flipping dangerous <laughs> yeah
0: exactly yeah but uh right so if you've been watching you'll know what's coming then so uh, if you had to pick three episodes from throughout the entire Star Trek franchise that represented your favourites, or what you would show to someone watching for the first time, or just that exemplifies what Star Trek is at its best, what three episodes would you pick?
1: Okay, so I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to cheat initially and kind of sneak two in by saying "Best of Both Worlds."
0: That's fine. Um, well, a two-parter I would count as one anyway, so that's yeah. fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've got the Blu-ray where they're edited together, so it's kind of one long one. Um, yeah,
0: awesome.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, because I, I, I just I just find that that's that's one of the pinnacles of it. Um, then I think um, the Corb might maneuver.
0: Ah, interesting. Uh, cool.
1: I absolutely adore that episode so much. I I just it's it's fantastic. It's got so much stuff about you know. The, it's a very tense situation, you know, how, and it's a lot about how a character responds to tension, how they respond to facing the unknown, how they respond to threats, but at the same time, they're not, it's not their automatic thing to fight and destroy the enemy, it's, mm-hmm. it's that trying to un- make that understanding, and the, and the point where they apparently disable Baylock's ship and have to turn back to help, I think that is one of those early times where we really exemplify what's the, what the Federation was really supposed to be all about, or what Starfleet was supposed to be all about
0: absolutely i completely agree that's one of my absolute all-time favorites and it doesn't come up a lot but i just love the actual what the episodes are named for i love the cobra mike bluff as a kind of very starfleet way to get around mm-hmm. um you know we, we face destruction but rather than being sort of going angrily and attacking it's just trying to outsmart with uh, like a poker style bluff you know and i love that that exemplifies kirk i think for me more than any of the sort of hand-to-hand fighting mm-hmm. or anything
1: so yeah um and then I think for probably my final choice, this is a really, really difficult one. Um, I know it's a DS9, but mm. I've got four four or five choices narrowing it down. Um, I would say, though, Far Beyond the Stars.
0: Yeah, that was one of my three, <laughs> definitely. It's just too, it's almost too good not to pick just as a, outside of even Star Trek and genre. It's just amazing. So, <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah. Um you can give me a shout out if you want of your other choices because uh, last week Kelly just said honourable mentions and then listed about six. So...
1: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the, the, the ones, um, my somewhat mixed bag that was going to, that we're vying for that last spot. Past tense because I think that's incredible. Again, I'm just sneaking a two-parter there. Um, fine. I think that's a brilliant one in terms of the of the social commentary that Star Trek does. And that's mm. quite a brutal on the nose one but uh and terrifying that it's actually not we're not we're really getting close to that time when we're not that we're not any better
0: yeah we're not that far we're off not, really you know,
1: we're no better than what the people depicted in that episode so yeah it's, it's yeah it's, it's a scary one that but it's a fantastic watch um and the other one is, and this is just because this is my ultimate um, comfort food episode, is looking for par mark in all the wrong places.
0: <laughs> ah, That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Right, I really
1: enjoy that. It's, it's that's just fun. Abs- yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's just the absolutely ridiculous premise of um, Cork trying to woo a Klingon lady and Warth having to help him. <laughs> the crazy stuff behind that is brilliant.
0: So, awesome. Oh, that's fair enough. I'm uh, I'm surprised you didn't. I was waiting for you to name Trials and Tribulations from DS9.
1: (laughs) It is an excellent episode as well. So, uh, yeah. um, But now I think Looking for Palma always comes back in the one that's going to make me laugh.
0: Fair enough. I I felt like there was a criminal lack of of DS9. If I didn't pick Far Beyond the Stars, which I did, because you have to, my DS9 choice would have been Homefront and Paradise Lost, which I don't think gets enough love. It does that not. Yeah. Oh no,
1: that, it does not get enough love, and I, I could rave on about that two-part for a long time because it's awesome. criminally underrated. What what they wouldn't say well, that is amazing.
0: Uh, well, I'll move us to the next section now then, and the, the next section is uh, the hit or miss section, uh, what the podcast is kind of named and famous for. Uh, So, as I said, you've got no idea what's coming. They're just five random things I wrote down a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And uh, I'll shout it out. And if you tell me if you think it's a hit or a miss and then why, I'll give my thoughts. We can debate, if necessary, back and forth. And then, uh, yeah, after five of those, we'll move on. But the the very first thing on the hit or miss for this week is a movie, uh, and it's the movie Star Trek Into Darkness, hit or miss.
1: Right. I'm going to go controversial. I'm going to say hit. Um... Okay. Uh, and I know it's it's not popular, but I I have had I've I've had long conversations with people about this. And I I feel that Star Trek 09 is absolutely fantastic, but I, I kind of my view of it is it's half the story and the other half is into darkness. Uh, Star Trek O9 tells a brilliant adventure story where of how Kirk gets the centre seat. And I think mm. into darkness is how he matures into the center seats. right? For yeah, me, I can um, see that. I, I appreciate some of the flaws, and you know, I, I do agree that maybe trying to rehash Khan in some of the ways was not as successful as it could have yeah. been. but looking at the whole, I, I kind of see Kirk's journey and Spock's journey through those two as a, as a as a better overall whole across the two movies. So that's kind of why I always class it as a hit because I think I think viewed together from that. They work, whereas uh, *Into Darkness* on its own, yeah, I appreciate. On, I don't. It's not as good.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. But yeah, um, yeah, I would probably say it's it's a miss for me, but just like a very soft miss. But mainly for the reasons that you've already uh, alluded to, which is that I didn't like that it was just a rehash of *Roth of Khan*. Um, I I think it would have been kind of cooler if they'd just done an original story to have those kind of stakes and stuff. Uh, and I really hate the ending just being basically, we'll revive him with magic blood. Because they couldn't <laughs> do the whole Catra thing. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, you, you you can have the act of self-sacrifice without necessarily dying of it. <laughs> yes. I think <laughs> there, there, was, uh, magic blood, but...
0: yeah, there was a better way to write that. But it's I think there's a few shortcuts in that that bug me. Because I didn't like the whole beaming from Earth to the Klingon homeworld. And stuff as well that happens in that, and I'm like, oh.
1: I'm glad they forgot about that for beyond. Yeah, uh, because um, at
0: that point, it's like, why do you bother with starships? Do you know what I mean? yeah, <laughs> um, but, um, I do, yeah. that's I'll, a I'll honest,
1: actually, My biggest complaint about Instant, and I know Cluster's a hit, so to now turn around and say my biggest complaint is a bit weird. But, um it's Is I, I just don't think they made good use of uh, McCoy in
0: it. Yeah, no, he's he's criminally underused in all three of them. Because Carl Urban's really, he's so good, and he's he's channeling, I think, the original character better than anybody else out there. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, he does a great it's a job. But he's, he's just rattling off weird metaphors and having mm. very little practical purpose.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a shame. But yeah, the other the other criticism that I had was that I just I've never really been a fan of Section Thirty-One as an idea. So when they brought up oh. that, that was uh, that was kind of the other half of the plot was we're rehashing Wrath of Khan, but we're throwing Section Thirty-One in there. It was like, oof. It's a lot of things I don't like all in one package either.
1: Uh, uh, so ah, yeah, see, I'm, I'm very much the other way. I, I love the idea of, to, I hate Section 31 as an organization, but I love right. the concept that they're in there
0: because okay. um,
1: it, it's one of those things that DS9, I think, did really well, is to say the Federation is a great idea in principle, but in practice, it's never going to quite go that smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the biggest way of saying that is that, that we have this furtive organisation of Section Thirty One. But overall, what this says is, and to me, this is what makes Star Trek one of one of the really engaging watches. Is that it's one thing to achieve a utopia, but to maintain it is the difficult thing. Mm. And this is what I what I really enjoy is is, is you know Picard going out there and. Presenting the best face of the federation is—he's he's pushing that forward. But there's other th- people in the background, sort of trying to keep it going, keep maintain it, yeah. and keep it. there. Uh, and there's—they're fighting things like Section Thirty-One. Who were saying, who were who fight, who were trying to maintain Utopia in the worst way.
0: Yeah. Um, but having said that, just to bring it around the other side, because as you said, you you said hit and uh, give some criticisms. Hmm. I said sort of slight miss. But having said that, uh, I am a big hypocrite because I have got a model of the USS <laughs> Vengeance because it looks badass. <laughs> It's it's staring at me from the top of one of my DVD shelf things because it's it's everything I should hate because it's basically just how many guns can we stick onto mm-hmm. this stealth shell of a ship? But it looks yeah. so damn cool. So.
1: <laughs> but, it is, yeah. I mean, it's just like it's it's there's some awesome se- sequences through it. So it's yeah. If nothing else, to, there's a lot of fun in the movie. But I just I just do like that it ties the thematic thing oh. of
0: Kurt yeah, gets the that.
1: seats and then Kurt kind of matures to the seats a bit.
0: Yeah, I totally, I fully understand. And uh, it's not, it's not by any means, I would think, my worst movie. It's not even in probably my bottom three. <laughs> but uh, yeah, very watchable, but a bit of a miss for me. So uh, we'll move on to number two, which is something from a movie. Uh, and the second thing for this week is the character B4 from uh, Star Trek Nemesis. It or miss?
1: <sighs> oh. Yeah. I, oh, you know, I, I, before I doing this I, I was thinking I'm so normally quite upbeat and positive about almost everything in Star Trek I'm fairly sure I'm <laughs> going to give you all hits But then you roll that B4 and I'm like, actually
0: <laughs> That's why I do it, I try to make it as varied as possible <laughs> Yeah.
1: It's... And it's... Oh, um, yeah, I miss, miss, I'm afraid B4 Fair is enough. just... It was just... Like a lot of Nemesis and I fervently believe that within Nemesis, there's a great movie that mm. a different director could have teased out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of those, one of those points is B four that mm. he could have, they could have done much better, but as it is, they, we we just feel like we're rehashing Data's brother from law, but in, in no effective way. Cause he's not, uh, you know, he's not law. He's not got a nefarious plan. He's just like a, it's just a walking tool of Shinzon's. Yeah. Um, coupled with the fact that Shinzon's motives and plans are sort of up and down and all over the place and increasingly unclear as the movie goes on.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I
1: think the final nail um, for B4, I think, was probably in Picard when he's just relegated to a Gone. draw. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, just, it's yeah. just in someone's big draw because essentially they, they just said, oh, yeah, the, the data's matrix was downloaded in turn, but, you know, B four was just couldn't handle it, so it was no didn't use. Work. <laughs> Absolutely. But, so yeah, B 4s only saving grace that he was this potential for Data's return. Mm. Um, we, but then we get to, we see we see uh, what happens there, and it's just like, yeah, no, that didn't work. Oh, okay then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that that did reek of like why why was this done by different writers or whatever, and we don't like it because I thought myself that B four basically was a plot device to give you like we want to kill off Data, but we don't want to kill him off permanently. So it's that little hope that happens at the end of the movie. And even the, um, I think it's the Countdown comics and stuff, uh, have him like fully restored as Data and like the captain yeah. of the Enterprise and everything. And I was like, oh, so maybe that's what they were going for and it was just a way to do what you said, basically have an act of self-sacrifice but without killing the character off permanently. Yeah. Um, but then, like you said, it's just, it's so almost indulgent and I think the fact that I know that that whole plot line was written by Brent Spider as well, um, it just reeks of like, well, this is what happens when you give actors too much creative control because it's, it's not a great plot device at all. It's just, it's silly. And it's, like you said, he's not intelligent or particularly impressive or anything before. It's just like, Oh, he has another one of you. It's a blank slate. You can download yourself into it later, but shush. <laughs> and then, like you said, by mm. Picard, they're like, forget about that. It didn't work. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I yeah. agree.
1: I clearly, agree. clearly that Picard stuff. writes felt the same about B four as I do.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and 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 myself, as I say, I would say I should have said at the start, I'd say miss as well because it just didn't, it didn't fit in that movie, which was all about Picard's identity anyway. <laughs> And then, like you said, it by the end, what was the that's, purpose? Yeah.
1: That's the frustrating thing about it as well. You, you, you actually have the chance for two big, you know, similar things. You have Picard hmm. and a clone of himself, and you have Data and another version of himself. Yeah. And they, they kind of touch on that. Picard, they do have this conversation, which to me is, is maybe one of the better points of the movie. Hmm. Um, when Data says, you know, there's a difference um, you and I aspire to be better, but our our evil or our our doubles don't. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's just like, but we're kind of like ignoring the fact that we're ignoring law.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I mean, if that character had been law, that would give you so much more richness to do that anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's a character that's pre-established. So you don't have to do any of the legwork. Yeah. Um, And, but I mean, the whole point that the film tries to see is, is like nature versus nurture. With yeah. Picard and Shinzon, and it's like Shinzon saying to Picard, "You'd be the same if you'd been raised in these horrible Reeman minds, being suffering abuse daily and everything." But that doesn't really work for an android.
1: I give Nemesis a lot more credit than a lot of people do, and I think there is the, the shell of a good movie in there. But There's bits that it's not, I enjoy. Yeah. it's not enough of it. Yeah, so,
0: it's yeah, well, uh, not not one of my favorite movies definitely speaking as we vaguely were about romulans uh, the third thing yep. on the list for today is a deep space nine episode uh, and it's the episode in the pale moonlight hit or um.
1: oh hit absolutely hit 100 million percent hit
0: <laughs> i had a feeling <laughs> so there you go. Um, yeah
1: i mean this this plays into the thing i was saying earlier that um to, to try and preserve that utopia is is not always as easy you know, and it's mm. the the battle to uphold those those high sounding morals that the Federation has, and this is the closest you know when a Starfleet captain is that compromised, mm. as, as uh, Cisco it feels by the end of this episode. Um, so yeah, um, I mean, I love it. It's a great and um, and Avery Brooks acts the mm. hell out of it as well.
0: Oh um, yeah, absolutely.
1: So it's beautifully done. It's 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 really intense, Cisco. Uh, and it's Garrick. It's essentially an hour, hour of intense Cisco and Garrick. So, you know, you can't go wrong with an episode
0: like that. Yeah, I know a lot of people that are huge fans of it. It's probably my most controversial hot take because I would say it's a miss, personally. Um, oh. For the reasons that I got into, kind of, uh, I, I touched on earlier with, like, Section 31 and stuff. I don't like to see Starfleet compromised. And I don't like the idea that the yeah. captain who's meant to be, like, this this beacon is so severely compromised. And whilst I appreciate that Avery Brooks did a great job acting it and selling that he actually gives a damn despite what he's kind of saying, I I feel like I, I resent the writers for putting the character in that position, if that makes sense. Because um, I'm like, well, he, he, he doesn't get to be this cool sort of beacon of, of greatness and shiningness that, like, Picard got to be or even Kirk got to be, you know what I mean? And it's like, what, why have we got to drag all our heroes down all the time? You know?
1: I, well, um, yeah. I, sub- I think that is that is a good point, and it is it is a difficult episode in terms of yeah. that. Uh, I feel that some stuff did spiral out of his control a bit.
0: Um, mm. I'll be, I don't, yeah, yeah.
1: don't necessarily blame him entirely. Um, mm. so for instance, I feel I feel a lot. I don't. I feel a lot less sympathetic towards Admiral Ross in series seven when he essentially disappears. So Section Thirty One can manipulate Bashir on on Romulus. Mm. So yeah. to, to my, to, I, I think, okay, you, you willingly just vanished out and let Section 31 do what they want, whereas Cisco is like, I'm going to do this one move, but then things spiral and spiral.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And he regrets it, and Ross doesn't regret it. Well, Ross, yeah. t- cut, Ross still defends it. I don't know if he necessarily doesn't regret it, but I think it's getting the, a little off topic, I suppose. But, no, no, um, it's,
0: it's absolutely, it's a good point, though, because I think it's one of those things where I'm way more accepting of, bad Starfleet admirals because it's such a trope mm. that I can just fully accept yeah admirals are gonna be jerks basically. But for whatever reason with the captain I'm like, oh no they're not allowed to be flawed. <laughs> I mm. just can't have this. <laughs>
1: but uh, yeah. yeah. It's probably it's- a bit
0: hypocritical on my part, but it's just a little issue I had.
1: No, it, it's completely because that's that's very much the point though. You watch you it, certainly through original in next gen, they are they are supposed to be the absolute pinnacle. And mm-hmm when you look at um, that episode in series two of discovery where Pike's been carrying this chip on his shoulder about being left out of the war, um, Yes. And finally, Cordell turns around and said, you were kept back because you're the best of us. Yeah. The war was making us go to dark places and we were keeping you our our best, you know, our most shining paragons of virtue. You were there to come back and rebuild us good again afterwards. Yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah. I love that.
1: that. That, that kind of totally, backs up what you're saying about how, what you should have expected yeah. of a captain but i think
0: uh, yeah i think at least people would hopefully at least understand where i'm coming from and it's not like mm. i'm saying like this is a terrible bit of television because like i said the writing and direction and, and everything are excellent but i just think mm. um in in terms of well the writing's excellent but the plotting not so much if that makes sense because i don't like the, they were put in that situation and i would rather have you know um just done something else to get the Romulans into the wall, you know what I mean? Because I, yeah. I realised it was I realized it was kind of a necessity, but I think there was perhaps a better way about it or uh yeah. Anyway, but I haven't said that I haven't watched that for a long time and I may well rewatch that episode and completely change my rights. So
1: I, I um I don't know if you're much into the novels, but there is a there's a DS9 novel called Hollow Men by Una McCormack that follows directly on from that story and has Cisco get back to Earth um, and deal with a lot of his guilt. And that's a really good accompaniment to the episode. Oh, okay.
0: Re-watch. So, yeah, I probably would have appreciated it a lot more if that had happened in the series as well. And that's that's cool.
1: It is one of those things um, like this would have been brilliant if it happened on screen, you know? So, yeah. Because yeah. there is
0: that great moment at the end of the episode where it's him basically trying to convince himself he can live with the guilt. And mm. there is, there's at least an episode's worth of something you could do with that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. i have to look that up. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Fair enough. We're sticking with DS Nine for number four out of five. Then on the hit or miss section, uh, and this is the character of Brunt. Hit or miss?
1: Oh, hit! Absolutely hit. I love <laughs> Brunt. Um, I mean, it's, it's Jeffrey Combs, so uh, you're not yep. by many people who are going to say that Brunt's not amazing.
0: Um, yeah.
1: I mean, just just on that, he plays Brunt. He plays you I mean, the the, uh, the man is incredible. Yeah. He's been playing those. Um, yeah, they're sort of wildly different characters and wildly different purposes of those characters. It's, uh, oh, brilliant. but but yeah, I think Brunt's fantastic. He's that great example of um, of the sort of person who just resents um, Quark because Quark's gone off on Frankenhour and done some stuff yeah. you know, outside, and it's just yeah, you know, it, 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 I don't know. If it, I there maybe there's some there's some metaphor for for some sort of nationalism or something in there. I, I, I might be reading too much into it, but it's Britain has such a problem with Quark, particularly in his family who strayed off course and makes yeah. his life mission to sort of destroy them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, uh, I, 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 see him kind of as a kind of, maybe it's, it could well just be me, but I see him as a, like a metaphor for government bureaucracy and the kind of like, um, you know, we, we want you to better yourself, but you better still come and pay your taxes and live where we tell you to and all the rest of it. So, um, it's kind of, yeah, I think that, that's the message there, is that Quark's kind of almost the tax exile of Ferengina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, uh, no, no, we're not having this. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. yeah. And it's weird because actually Quark and Brunt openly ascribe to the same views oh. of Ferengi society. Absolutely, so, But yeah. they're always at odds because, you know, so it's, always, it's always this hilarious thing. Where Quark would happily agree with Brunt and just do as he's told, but his brother yeah. and his mother are constantly driving him down the wrong path.
0: I uh, think there's, yeah, as I said, I think there's a little bit too much bureaucracy and officiousness to Brunt for Quark as well, though, because yeah. for all that he talks a big game, I think he is a bit of a rebel, and he wouldn't want to be kind of like, um, oh, I'm doing what the government tells me, like a good little boy. It's kind of yeah. like uh, well, there's yeah, that I mean, side of him that yeah this, doesn't this want is to
1: do. <laughs> this, this is the Quark who helped um, Bajoran and sort of under the radar during the occupation mm. and things. So, yeah, there is that. As much as he might try and deny it, there is definitely yeah. that side to him. So.
0: Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think Brunt is a huge hit because of the, as I said, the way he's played to be that kind of uh, stoic, bureaucratic kind of foil to Quark and the Ferengi. And the way he he threads that middle ground between the sort of evil Ferengi with whips of next gen and the kind of comical comic relief of DS9. He almost is a way to understand how they can be that wildly different because
1: yeah.
0: there's a there's a middle ground there as well, you know. Um but yeah, I completely agree. Jeffrey Combs is great. Weirdly, yeah. coincidentally, he was just on lower decks as we're recording this on the last episode yes. as well. <laughs> yeah, he was he was
1: brilliant. I really it enjoyed it. So that. good. Yeah,
0: yeah, just obviously a voice role, but so good. But yeah, I think he's great in everything. And when I was um looking up that episode, I I fell down like a wiki hole of looking up Jeffrey Combs' roles and episodes and things. <laughs> And uh, so yes. so courtesy of the wiki that um, in at least one episode of DS9, he plays both wee and Brunt in the yes. same episode. <laughs> that's I oh. was like, that's epic, man. I can
1: only imagine his schedule that week. Yeah. Like, Who's doing my, my makeup? What, what ears am I getting on?
0: <laughs> like... But yeah, we both are big fans of Jeffrey Combs and Brunt. Uh, yeah. So finally, uh, for today, speaking of Lower Decks, the final thing on the list is Brad Boimler, hit or miss? <laughs>
1: I love Brad Boimer, absolutely. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's. Um, I, 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 I can relate to Brad, uh, Brad Boimer. Anyone.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, massive hit and very, very relatable. I have to pretend I'd be like the commander ransom of the Cerritos, but I'd, I'd be Boymler all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can't oh. pretend otherwise. I, I, <laughs>
1: Poison Starfleet, I would be so enthusiastic, absolutely love every second. But competence-wise, I'd probably only be a big boy.
0: Oh, yeah. And I'd constantly be getting into just ridiculous scripts and things, because I do oh, that now anyway.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I would have got just as ex- In fact, I did get just as excited as he did at the end of season one when the Titan arrived.
0: Oh, completely. So, yeah, I would have done exactly the same. And I would have completely been straight applying for that transfer to the Titan and yeah. abandoning my friends as well. <laughs> I
1: wouldn't even bothered to pack. I'd have been straight over there.
0: <laughs> straight across. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, but great character. Well written, and I think very well acted by um, Jack Quaid as well. Yeah. So great yeah. work. Uh, awesome. Well, that was uh, relatively painless, at least. <laughs> so Just I'll. A
1: <laughs> but
0: there's always at least one, I think, I think. Um, yeah, I've tried to make it that way, so there's at least one almost on purpose, but yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll leave that in the review, and we'll move to the, the next section, which is going to be the bulk of the episode, and that is the main review. Uh, so we'll begin analysis, <laughs> as I say, uh, and I will just start by saying, um, in a, as spoiler-free a way as possible, what do you know, sort of, general thoughts on Emissary, the two-part pilot of DS9, or the feature-length pilot, I guess, if it's stuck together. <laughs>
1: Okay, um, I mean um, I've, I've gone through it. <laughs> Emissary, I'm always mixed I've gone through stages When I first watched it, I absolutely loved it
0: mm.
1: As DS9 progressed I kind of was quite cool to it And then after the end, I loved it again mm. So um, It's Yeah, it's it's Watching it now, I really enjoy it Absolutely love it, it's got loads of great stuff Introduces its characters well Sets up the stage um, and yeah, sets up a whole new type of Star Trek series in a new way.
0: So. Oh, completely, yeah, absolutely. Um, my, my without getting too far into it for spoilers, my view of it completely changed after this watch. Um, from what I had sort of remembered it being because the only other times I'd watched it, I, I was very young. Um, in 1993, I would have been 11, so <laughs> and I think that may have been the first time I watched it was then, and then maybe a couple of years later, I tried it again. Um, but yeah, so. Very different experience this time. A lot of very surprising things that I either didn't remember or that didn't hit for whatever reason, one way or the other. Um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, a pilot that does a heck of a lot. And as you say, that sets up a surprising number of things, both sort of yeah. Star Trek familiar and wildly varying and different. So, I think,
1: uh, I think it's quite good as it leaves quite a lot of things sort of open. You don't even realise. But then when you go back, you think, okay, they they actually played that out later. I don't even remember it being there, but I, that that's actually relevant. Like they, These are things they play out.
0: Yeah, I was that reading was... about that, and um, I was very surprised to read that they didn't have anything in mind, because it seems like they're going somewhere, uh, but with little moments like, um, just off the top of my head, Odo saying, I was found in the Denorius belt, and I don't know where I'm from, and whatever... Um, they had no idea where they were going with that, but it's there in the pilot, so it was like, we could do something interesting with it, you never know. And I was yeah. like, you, that spawned everything, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: it's, anyway. um, I remember shortly before it finished, um, I think I sort of read an interview with the producers who said, we're so happy about the finale, and um, I think it, you'll be able to see if you watch the pilot and then the finale, how everything is is tied from a beginning to an end. And I was mm. like, oh, I'll show you, paid a bit of lip service to the pilot or something it's not that but then i watch and think okay yeah actually you do see where these threads have set up and then over the course of seven years where they where they all go and how they end it's oh, yeah.
0: very... i think uh yeah ds9 is the, the series that's the most like a novel in that you can't really just dip in and out of episodes but if you watch the whole thing start to finish it is one fantastic like contained story Yeah, um absolutely. but yeah uh, so, what it is, I've got like random, just sort of chronological notes. Uh, so, mm-hmm. bear with me. I'll probably just go through it in order, and then if you want to just chime in with anything that I may have missed or thoughts of your own, um, yeah. and I'll just go through it. And uh, afterwards, I'll ask you if you have any exciting stories or anything about uh, about emissary. I guess yeah. okay. uh, you had hinted about that, so we shall see. I'll try and get <laughs> I'm through. Not, the, I'm uh,
1: not sure I use the word exciting. You may have over over-sold. <laughs> <all
0: of it. laughs> well, stories. <laughs> Anything's exciting to me. Yeah,
1: just manage the listeners' expectations a little bit. I'm not that interesting. <laughs> Fair enough.
0: Oh, well. Well, um, so we get into the the start of the episode, and obviously goes without mentioning we're, we're straight in the middle of Best of Both Worlds, the whole Battle of Wolf 359, uh, yeah. which I don't love as <laughs> an opening controversially, um, because I, I, I recognise that it's done well, and it connects the Jennifer Sisko story. But tonally, it just doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the TS9 series at all. Um,
1: oh, for the purpose <laughs> of the audio, I have walked off in rage.
0: <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not that I think... I, I get the kind of... It fits the theme of war and all the rest of it, but it's weird that it's the only appearance of the Borg in the series because it would seem to indicate that they're going to do more about that. And it just seemed like...
1: Mm, eh. Yeah, no, uh, I, 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 think I kind of always wondered if we would see the Borg again because yeah. it's almost like there's that little open thing with, with Cisco, um, Yeah. almost to the point of, like, you feel a little bit cheated that he didn't get to pop up in First Contact.
0: Yeah, because, yeah, Wolf was on the Defiant, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, it,
1: apparently they had written a bit for him, but then they sort of ended up taking it out. So.
0: Yeah. It's weird, because I, I know they have, they do pay a lip service to that's what the Defiant was invented for, uh, mm. which, by the way. Poor job Starfleet because it got immediately trounced when it did the one thing it was meant to do. <laughs> <But> never mind. <laughs>
1: um, that that is true. Uh, yeah, I, I I adore this the the, the ball three fire. I was so excited when it opened with that and I thought we're gonna see this battle. Oh my god, we're gonna see yes. this battle. Yes, I will say
0: that the actual like the the, the special effects, the model shots and the actual seeing of some of the ships that were involved rather than just seeing like Rex when the Enterprise D arrives was fantastic. The scene itself, I think, is brilliant, but it just seemed like an odd thematic choice for, for this episode. Um,
1: yeah, um, it's, I mean, it's a dark way to open a series, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, you would have to open with Jennifer's death, but there's no nothing to say it had to be during that particular battle. And in a way, I think th- it would have perhaps made more thematic sense to just say Cisco had fought in one of the Cardassian sort of border conflicts or something. Because then at least you're, you know, you're linking to an antagonist of the series. You know?
1: It's, it's, it's um to to my mind, though, I think it's it's more about him and Picard, isn't it?
0: Well, that's the that's the other thing I have issue with is that I don't love that you're basically setting you're starting the series with these two captains completely at loggerheads, and I think it's a really poor decision because it's never even particularly resolved. Like we know Picard's not responsible for that, and Cisco just comes off as a bit of a jerk when he's like oh we met in battle and oh he's clearly like upset picard who's yeah. still processing this trauma and cisco's a real jerk about it and then at the end of the episode when he's went through his own epiphany he just is like oh i've changed my mind i'm staying here at the station and i guess we're yeah. all good now and I'm like, "Well, nothing's changed you haven't actually addressed this to this man you know what i mean so
1: yeah um it's it is a shame it, it would have been nice to have have it followed up in some way yeah have some other later point where Picard and Cisco, all the crews of DS9 and the Enterprise, had to work together and yeah. we could kind of see that Cisco had moved past it. Mm. So I don't I don't think that really is sold in that last scene between them. I, I kind of like that we're setting up this is it, it sets it aside from next gen stuff. And I think that's kind of to me that was kind of important because the first two series of DS9, um, a lot of the stuff was very TNG feeling because, you know, obviously they were sharing the same uh, production crews and things like that. So it took a little while for DS9 to really set its tone apart. But the fact that I think very early on there was animosity between the two captains, um, to me at least, sort of gave me that cementing thing that we weren't Going down the TNG route, but just on a space okay. station, we would do
0: something a bit different. So that's fair I enough. I, I uh, appreciate that, that that would work for, for a lot of people. It, it doesn't for me, but I appreciate that if it does for you, then that's yeah, awesome. You know, well, this, this um, thing, these things sometimes
1: hit differently for different people, don't
0: they? So. Completely, yeah. But uh, it was just a, a little niggle anyway. But on, um, in terms of a, just a quick note I made here, in terms of a geeky little Easter egg spot, uh, did you recognize the actor who plays the Vulcan captain of the Saratoga?
1: Okay, um, yes. Um, uh, can we save this for my, one of my, my exciting stories at the end? Oh, yes. Shall I jump, jump, jump into well, it? Well, do you now?
0: know what? Just, yeah, jump into it. Why not? <laughs> it guess people okay. are bored of the review already.
1: So, um, yes, the Captain of the Saratoga is played by J.G. Hertzler, who's mm-hmm. more famously known as Martok.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, now, Martok is one of my absolute favourite characters. I adore Martok so much. He's brilliant. And um, a couple of years ago, Destination Star Trek. JG Hertz is going to be there. He's not only going to be there; he's doing photos in full Klingon costume and makeup as well Oh, nice! So I'm like, brilliant, booked, getting that, getting a picture with Martok. As we get <laughs> closer, um, what uh, what me and my, the, the other guys on Tim Backwood, we, we, we try and do go in and keep a theme of our costumes. So the previous year we'd done original series. This year we can do next gen. So I've got myself my lovely um, command red next gen uniform and i start thinking do you know what would be really good put captain pips on this vulcan ears on and i'm going to go i'm just i'm not only going to cosplay as a as a starfleet captain i'm going to cosplay as the captain of the saratoga so when i get my photo <laughs> with Martok, i'm going to be the vulcan that jg herzler plays
0: nice very sly
1: <laughs> and i did um i i, I had absolutely the cheapest cheap. Oh well, I, I constructed like masking tape vulcaneers ears chopped half my eyebrows off and added the lines in with um, eyeliner pencil (laughs) it's a a really cheap makeup job and actually it was quite a nice uniform but um while they're saying that lavar burton complimented my ears so um,
0: well there you go (laughs) come on that's gotta be a good that's awesome i i'd love the idea of that so you basically had a picture of him in character as his other character. Yeah, yeah I that. So was oh,
1: like a man. little bit meta there, but uh, yeah. So um, absolutely, yes, I did recognise that, Captain.
0: So that goes that way. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's something I noticed uh, in recent years, obviously going back to watch it because Martok becomes so famous. But yeah, mm. um, the, the this is just a random thought that I had, but is it only me that finds the opening sequence very reminiscent of the start of Star Trek 2009? Uh, in terms of the how um, it's a ship that's immediately facing an undefeatable enemy gets destroyed and one yeah. sort of one character dies that they can't save, but it's kind of the start of everything for another character.
1: There is that. You know, I've not, not, not considered that. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, I think uh, very... uh,
0: that that's, watching it this time around, I was like, wow, it's surprising to me how much... Because I was like, it's really tragic they have to leave Jennifer behind and but Cisco gets Jake away and they, they get the safety. And I was like, you know, this really reminds me of the fact that George Kirk has to sort of stay behind and die, but uh, Winona and, and Jim Kirk get away, you know? So I was yeah. like, it's such a, we had a weird bit of symmetry that would never have been intentional, but it's cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: yeah, that is. Huh. Cool. Uh, the,
0: uh, during the scene, this is just me being really mean, I guess, but during the scene in the holodeck with the sort of fishing simulation, I really thought the acting between the Ciscos was really stilted. I don't know if this was just the first day they'd ever met or something, but there was something a bit off that's not in the rest of the episode, but yeah. Oh, uh,
1: um, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, one of the things I love about the, the two Ciscos is that they do have such a really affectionate relationship as a mm. father something. There's a closeness. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I haven't particularly noticed that in that scene. If I'm honest, when I was watching the other day, I got totally caught up on how Jake comes out with his fishing rod. I'm like, well, why isn't it a holographic fishing rod? I did
0: see somebody complain about that on Twitter, about, like, why do they sometimes decide to take things with them? And sometimes they just use holographic clothes, and other times that, they're dressing them. And, that was yeah. me. Was it? That's my,
1: right. I, I caught. Cool. And I just wondered, is this, a, like, is this like a power-saving thing? Do sometimes you replicate some things and keep them? Does the holiday, you know, what, do you have a regular fishing rod? Do you not just replicate it every time you go fishing? Just, I like I got, the yeah. idea.
0: I, I'm... Probably I'm terrible, I won't be able to credit whoever it was that answered you. But I like the idea that somebody said it was somehow sentimental, like it was maybe a fishing rod that Jake had been given from Jennifer or something, so it had sentimental uh, value. <laughs> that
1: was uh, Chris at Shelf Nerds on Twitter. Oh, yes, yeah. he's coming
0: on the, the show later on in the series, oh, so yeah, yeah he's,
1: he's, uh, he's always a, he's got some good ideas. Yeah,
0: I like that idea. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just random headcanon, but I was like, yeah, I can, I can dig that if he's got a, a specific fishing <laughs> rod he wants to use. Go for it. <laughs> it's a really
1: weird takeaway I end up going about it, <laughs> about it, but
0: yeah. No, it's things like that that do though. And you're watching it and then you're like, hang on, how does this work? It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? But, yeah.
1: yeah, well, I mean, my, my thing was if I end up being transported into the Star Trek universe at some point, you know, and God willing, I will be, um, <laughs> I don't want to make a really bad faux pas by not replicating something or replicating the wrong thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, but getting back to DS9, I think um, I've got Uh, I've got to shout out and give credit to uh, the director, David Carson, who does a fantastic job uh, and so good of a job that apparently that's how he got the gig directing Star Trek Generations, Um, which I didn't know until I was looking it up. But uh, I think in terms of sort of, uh, I'll probably shout out a few of his shots that I really liked, but I just love the hero shot of um, DS9 through the, I think it's a runabout they're in, the window of whichever ship they're in. Um, And you gradually sort of slowly pan around and you can't see it until they move out of shot and then the camera zooms in uh, and it goes straight into the credits i think that's a fantastic shot um, oh
1: yes yeah yeah oh that's that's when jake and ben come off the holiday. they, they look out of yes. the window yeah yeah
0: absolutely uh and yeah i love that uh speaking of the credits i love the touch that i've never noticed before that there's no wormhole in the credits because they haven't actually discovered it yet <laughs>
1: Yeah, that, I, I I think it must have been like series three before I rewatched the pilot and uh, realised that I think.
0: <laughs> so, as, anyhow, if we get into the the episode properly after the credits, and uh, I, I like that there's a little bit of familiarity because the Enterprise D is docked there, and you sort of yeah. it's Chief O'Brien you're introduced to first. Um, I think it's an interesting choice that they've got the station completely wrecked to bits, <laughs> um, which I read about, and it was apparently done because they wanted something. Some kind of focus to the first half, um, mm. because even even Michael Pillar didn't really like the first half. He thought it was all too clean and there wasn't any conflict or sort of something to aim towards. So he basically said, "Well, just blow the crap out with the station, and then we can be having the commander working on that and fixing it up and stuff as we go in." So, yeah, um, yeah very interesting way to look at it. So
1: it makes it makes kind of sense because it is. The, it, if, to me, it feels like the sort of thing the Kardashians would do.
0: Oh, completely! And it's a fantastic moment in um, Call to Arms when they do exactly the same thing back, yeah. which I yeah. just love. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Cisco programs something or other, and then Kira just says, "Yeah, the the Cardassians want the station back. They can have it." <laughs> just yeah. Blowing up left and right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So um, I, I don't particularly love the religious focus of the Bajorans, but that's because I've always been on the. They're just wormhole aliens, trade, and I'm never one for loving the way sort of religion gets depicted at times in Trek. So the spiritual side, I don't
1: love, but yeah, it's oh, it's, it's a because oh, I was having this conversation the other day about how I think the original focus was that there was going to be a lot more stuff on Bajor, and mm-hmm. a lot of the standard Star Trek exploration would be to really do the most in depth exploration of a single planet and get around Bajor. Mm-hmm. Um but they're kind of the studio didn't seem to like the Bajoran storyline or the religion storyline. Mm. And so they kind of dialed that back. But then I think as the series progressed, particularly Ira Stephen Bear, who seems to have this little this sort of stubborn streak that he will rail <laughs> against studio directives. And bless yeah. him for it, because it makes marvellous. They did bring it back in. They did. They did make it, and they made it such an integral part, and it really worked. But, yeah, it was certainly a weird start to begin with,
0: yeah, it's just it's just the fact that there's something to explore there in the fact that they want the Bajorans to join the Federation. But I almost feel like a culture that's that heavily religious that would pre- that that would present an issue with that, um, and it's not addressed yet in the pilot. I think it does get to be later. Um, that, that that's perhaps one of the barriers in your way. But I just feel like when Picard's mentioning to Cisco, it's your goal to make them ready to be in the Federation. Part of that would probably be, and we're going to have to at least. You know, do something about or come to terms with the fact that they are a heavily religious people. You know, um, well, I
1: mean, the, 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 you, you can you can accept that they are religious and you can respect the, um, the that aspect of their culture. What you probably shouldn't do is set yourself up as a serious, you know, as a significant figurehead of their religion.
0: Yeah, well, I, he he didn't do it though in perfect fairness. It was it was kind of thrust upon him, really. But yeah, again, that's something that's not addressed immediately when really you would think, yeah. It's sort of a prime directive <laughs> violation there, isn't there? Yeah.
1: it? it it's, it's one of those things that I, it took me several rewatches before I really got my head around the fact of what had happened. Mm. Yes, the Bajorans were spiritual people and they had this key leader, and if a Parker backed the Federation and called for unity, it would help Bajor set them on the path. Brilliant. Cisco goes to talk to They talk about the orbs. He discovers the temple, um, or the wormhole, um, mm. And uh, skipping ahead slightly, but it didn't really on, but... strike me that what he'd done until much later. It's like, oh, hang on. No, I've been thinking of them as wormhole aliens, like they all say. But, yeah, actually, I've kind of just completely been oblivious to the fact that Bajorans think they're the gods.
0: Yeah, well, so they, like, that's <laughs> the thing. That, that That is such a sort of it's tied to destiny and whatever else, mm. um, which, again, I'm not really particularly on board with. I, I very much you know, they're just aliens that live differently. And that's the part of this episode that I like that we'll get to. Um, when explaining to, about what they are in a way that it's just a different form of life. Um, but yeah, uh, just moving on from that then into slightly less uh, deep territory. Uh, so I love that we're introduced to every character in sort of the the most sort of... Uh, Best way to sum them up, I guess, in one scene. So O'Brien's sort of fixing things, which we know him anyway, but still, mm-hmm. Cisco's wanting to solve problems and kind of get on with everyone, but he's ignoring Picard, uh, tellingly enough. And um, we're introduced to Kira, just mm-hmm. basically having an argument. Which I was like, this is perfect yeah. because what other introduction <laughs> for Kira could you possibly have? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, so.
1: you've got the fix- you've got O'Brien, the fixer, Cisco, the builder, and Kira, the the shouter. So.
0: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's just, and it's just, again, it's such clever dialogue, but the idea that, that uh, O'Brien mentions in passing, she's been using the office and she's in such a bad mood after the argument that Cisco walks in, introduces himself and her first words are just, well, I suppose you'll be wanting the office then. <laughs> <laughs> and his response is like, I thought I'd say hello first, then take the office. <laughs> That's sort of very... Uh, I'm trying to defuse the situation here, but don't push me, you know. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I love it. But speaking of which, we're introduced to Odo's ability to kind of shape, shift and transform. Um, Not the the best looking of effects at this point in 1993, but it's very intriguing when you first see it. And
1: It blew my mind at the time. I was like, whoa, what the heck? That's awesome. Absolutely,
0: um, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like any effect from back then doesn't always hold up, particularly when you put it on a, the sort of screens we watch on today. but No, I
0: guess that's it. But um, hey, maybe one day we'll get that HD remaster and it'll look great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, hopefully.
0: Yeah. yeah. Talking of um, characters, the journeys, though, and uh, what how big of a journey they go on from the pilot to the end uh, of the show, it's pretty incredible that we're, we're introduced to Nog committing a crime. And when you think where that character ends up, it's so weird and yet cool that we're introduced to him. He doesn't even speak... He's a criminal. He's used as like leverage, and then by the end of the series, he's like a starfleet ensign. You know, <laughs> uh, so weird and, and cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, in, that's the, I mean, uh, obviously, Nog's story is it's incredible, but I think that's also one of the testaments to the thing we we're talking about—the Federation and how DS Nine portrays it as as a struggle to maintain. But also, you know, it is something that is inspiring, and mm. I think having Nog see the Federation, see the life that the Federation offers. And want and think actually I want some of that mm-hmm. uh, again. It is and you know the, the change from him and there to where he is like years later is 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 one of those great things about it.
0: Uh, it is I love it. Um, I, the one thing I don't love about all of this sort of in these particular scenes though, and uh, feel free to disagree, is um, like Cisco basically using uh, Nog as leverage and, and to kind of blackmail Quark into staying around because um, it's it just just doesn't strike me as very Starfleety. And I know that it's it's played for laughs, and it's the sort of thing that was, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out, it was the sort of thing that was done in, like, TOS every other week. They would do things like this, you know, um, as a clever, like, workaround. And I'm sure Cisco wouldn't have followed through and been like, if you're leaving, he's going to jail for years and years. But um, there's a little bit of, I guess, cynicism in these scenes where everything seems to be, like, conflict. Um, they're all kind of at odds with each other. And the fact that that leads straight into the Cisco and Picard scene there's not even like a respite in between, and I'm like, oof, this is all very un-star Trek-y up to now in this first part, you know?
1: Yeah, I suppose I suppose I always saw it as the it's this is a very different situation. And Cisco's very quickly thinking, I can't handle this like normal. But also I suppose yeah. he's, he's approaching it in a friendly way. So Yeah,
0: that's a good point actually, yeah, good point.
1: It's you know, it's like what what's the rule of acquisition? Something like um treat people in your debt like family, exploit them.
0: Yeah, absolutely i love that so, yeah i love you that know, you, you've got them memorized and that's a fantastic well, i can tell creator, you the yeah. number
1: i'm not quite that good but
0: <laughs> but yeah that's a very good point and again um yeah i can seeing it from that perspective i can definitely appreciate it a lot more mm-hmm. um but yeah it's just the, the whole sort of thing i think the the first part for me just skews a little bit too pessimistic um because it's at this time that we start hearing about how the Cardassians have left almost nothing and the Bajoran government's about to fall and everything looks really bleak. <laughs> and so I was like, oof, this is just, uh, it's a lot of, oh, what are we doing here? It's all misery and, and doom and gloom, which I get is the point that you have to sort of build up these stakes before then at the end you come out of that sort of dark tunnel, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> no um, wormhole pun intended. <laughs>
1: <Alex>. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um Shout out to whoever it was that made the, uh, I'm assuming it's CGI or whatever, the appearance of Bajor on the surface looks absolutely gorgeous. (laughs) Despite being told that the planet was, you know, left in ruins by the Cardassians and facing imminent, you know, catastrophe or whatever, when you first see Cisco going to Opaka and see Bajor, I was like, wow, I'm good we didn't spend across the seven years more times on this planet because it's really cool and very well designed. The architecture, the look of it, it's such a... Even the cool, like, holographic um, pond thing that, that just disappears and it becomes a stairwell. It's a, yeah. a tiny touch, but it's so cool.
1: <laughs> that was really cool, actually. I bet, <laughs> I'd love to have seen more of that. Um, yeah. And I think that was, like, I was saying before, I think there was the intent to have a, a bit more going on in Bayshore. But yeah, every time we do go there, we, we normally get one of those. Really gorgeous map paintings or yeah. backdrops that just look stunning, and you just like, I would, that I, that's a planet I could go and just have a really nice, relaxing couple of weeks exploring, looking at the arts and the architecture and stuff. That's
0: definitely a place you'd contemplate building a cabin to to move to and retire to <laughs> one day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so uh, yeah, you mentioned that's basically uh, Cisco's meeting with Opaka. So that's when we get the backstory of the tears of the prophets or the orbs. Um, that nobody really knows what they are, but they've been around for thousands and thousands of years. And the Cardassians have all of them except this one, which is never named, but I think is the orb of prophecy and change. I could be wrong. (laughs) It's not named in the episode. Um, But yeah, so Cisco gets into the middle of a sort of orb vision from the prophets or the wormhole aliens. uh, And it's his first meeting with Jennifer, which is a very nice way for me of doing exposition and flashback. um, just a little bit different. Um, one weird moment I didn't like was uh, Avery Brooks's acting choice when he's like he's just coming to the realization of what's happening and it's, he, he's got in between two words and then out of nowhere he's like and this is the moment I met Jennifer. Ow! yeah! I was like what? What was that? <laughs> he just randomly became Michael Jackson for a second. <laughs> <on> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I, I
1: was always glad they didn't make that a regular thing that he would do. <laughs>
0: It was so weird and jarring, but funny at the same time. But, uh, yeah. And, uh, I, again, just, this is perhaps overly critical, but I found, um, Felicia Bell playing Jennifer, very stilted in these scenes as well. Um, but again, I guess the argument there would be, it's not really her. It's like a false vision because it's not exactly a flashback because things are changing. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, yeah, that's quite, it's quite an interesting one really because, um, I I, again, I I get down the rabbit hole of the minutiae there. It's like, okay, so is this playing out from Cisco's head? Is the is the orb extrapolating from Cisco's memory and knowledge of Jennifer, or is it pulling alternate timelines? If you know, if time is not linear for the prophets. Yeah, yeah. I assumed it
0: was something similar to what the prophets do when he gets into the wormhole, and it was just like showing him. mm -hmm. I guess them role playing that, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it's very weird. But yeah, again, it's it's a cooler way of showing, like, his attack- attachment to his wife and how they met and stuff, as opposed to just him staring out of a window and then we do the ripple effect and it's a flashback, so, Yeah, yeah, um,
1: yeah. and it's, it's a nice way to, yeah. You know, we start off with a very tragic flashback and you know, mm. his, his relationship with his wife then in the, in the viewer's eyes is defined by that, so yeah. having this flashback gives us a little bit more, makes it more of a solid and real relationship to us that he had,
0: and we just yeah, sort of appreciate that, yeah.
1: his, his position, I think, a bit more
0: absolutely absolutely and uh, the other thing i just wanted to mention is that it's really intriguing that we end it with um, related to kind of the quark of it and everything um to the first sort of references of commerce and how it might work in star trek um, with the idea that he wants this promenade uh, you know community leader in quark, and he wants it to be shops and people that are applying a trade and stuff and it's not something we've ever dealt with uh, which isn't fundamentally a negative thing um i just think it's really interesting um and they do explore it a lot as we go on it's an interesting thing that they chuck straight at you in the pilot it's like um, you know, we're on a space station instead of a spaceship, and we've basically got a big mall down the <laughs> down yeah. in the, the basement. <laughs> it's
1: like, oh, yeah. okay. it's a crazy one. And again, it was one of those things I was like, hang on. It took me a while to realize and then so, okay, so I've got to appreciate here, this isn't a Starfleet station. We're administering yeah. it. And the and Beiger is now a very resource poor planet after. Mm. So it is kind of we have to have an economy here, and we have to have Something to build Bejul's wealth up because we can't we can't shift to that starfleet economy. In the state yeah, exactly. It's kind of left, in, I suppose, isn't
0: it? Yeah, uh, but I think there's there's a lot of that anyway. I think the the, the hint is that starbases would generally be a place where they'd do trade and and things anyway yeah. uh, and commerce of a sort. But obviously within starfleet, it would probably be commerce in the sense that you just picked something up and said, "I'm having this" and left with it, you know, or you swapped it for something that was needed rather than using money or latinum or whatever. Um,
1: yeah, 'cause I i'm mean, rolling back to the TNG pilot, there's that point on um when they're having a look around Farpoint Station where uh, mm. Dr. Crusher wants to buy this sort of big load of cloth. Yeah. She just gets says to charge it to the enterprise. So yeah. suggesting How does that that work? stuff that should go around with some sort of variation of currency they can use for local trade and barter and just let the crew buy yeah. what they
0: want. It's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Um and that is one of those things where I kind of I get the point of we have no currency in the future, but that was always something that I was like, I, I don't buy this for a second. <laughs> there's there's no way that can be true, uh, and it isn't, basically. So, you know. Um,
1: yeah, it's one of those things they never really get into the, n- the nitty-gritty of how it works because, you know, to do that, you essentially have to come up with a new theory of a, of commerce and economy that would basically wipe out capitalism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um
0: yeah, I mean it's it's just enough to, to I think understand it that you know Starfleet doesn't within themselves Starfleet and the Federation doesn't use currency, but if they have to with outsiders and stuff, they can because there's a reason yeah. you know the DS Nine various crew members and stuff have to have money to pay for their bar tab at Quarks or whatever, so it's yeah. got to be coming from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, speaking of uh, Encounter at Farpoint, then we get introduced finally here to um, Bashir and Dax. Uh, which I read was, I think it was Michael Piller's idea because he liked that in Encounter at Farpoint, we didn't get introduced to Riker, Geordi and Crusher and the Crusher's, I should say, until halfway through. Uh, and he kind of liked that. So it was a gradual staggering of introductions, um, which is, is really cool. Uh, yeah. And I do love that, again, straight away, you're introduced to these characters as they're going to be. Bashir putting his foot straight in his mouth, uh, flirting with Dax awkwardly and... Uh, oh. Yeah, and again, just uh, the exposition behind the trail is so well done, with, with um, Cisco having known on was such a genius idea of the writers. Uh, yeah. So that you, you're just straight into it, you know. Um,
1: uh, yeah, re-watching, I was like, oh, I've forgotten Classic Bashir was so... Oh,
0: he's such an idiot.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but again,
0: <laughs> though, there's, a, there's tension between him and Kira, but... She comes around to the point that, you know, he he says he wants to be a hero and it's on the frontier and everything. And at the very end in the midst of battle, she's like, Time to be a hero then, Doctor. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah no, I can I can get on board with this.
1: <laughs> and also in, in 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 the way we were talking about Brad Boyman, he's almost like that little audience <laughs> yes. figure. It's like, if I was assigned to any star based thing, I would be excited. I would be naive and idiotic, probably like that. Yeah. I'd
0: probably
1: blundering and put my foot in it by saying something stupid like that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, th- again, this is this is just a really geeky note, but um, I don't love, uh, although it's not a huge deal that there's no explanation for why these trill are completely different from the ones in Next Gen, <laughs> who we've already met, um, like physically in terms of the makeup, but also the fact that they're using transporters with no problem and stuff, is a little um, bit like.
1: <laughs> it be- um, weirdly, I-, I saw this. I saw it this time before I'd seen the trill episode of Next Gen. Ah, so.
0: okay. Fair enough. It did not
1: did not bother me then. Um, I think when later I realised, I was like, Well, oh, to be fair, we're, st- we're still waiting for an explanation about the Klingon forehead, so I'm not going to hold my breath on this.
0: Well, we got it and then had that completely <laughs> removed by Discovery, so <laughs> that's a whole other kind of worm, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with it. It's just it's a shame to have to write off that next-gen episode. It would be nice if they did something like what they did with the Romulans and Picard and said that, you know, the northern people have the weird bumpy foreheads and the southern yeah. ones have spots or whatever, but... Again, it's a minor I, nitpick, but... I
1: don't, know, I don't get too bothered about these things. I kind of think it would sound weird for Starfleet officers to constantly parrot back these explanations in-universe. In oh, yeah, by, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. I
0: know. Yeah, like that. There's a way to so, do it. And as I said, I think that's why I yeah. like the exposition behind what Dax is, because it comes from Cisco having known old man mm-hmm. Curzon. And later they use the uh, orb vision on Dax as well to show her actual joining. Um, yeah. So it's not done with just like, oh, I'm a Trill. This is what we are. We have a arm. It's, it's it's very subtle and, and quite well played. Um, speaking yeah. of which, <laughs> the next scene was one I noted because I have absolutely no memory of this happening um, in any yeah. of the previous times I've watched Emissary, but it's the scene with um, O'Brien saying goodbye to the Enterprise, basically. Oh. Uh, and he tries to sort of make off without seeing Picard and Picard stops mm-hmm. him and has a really touching moment in the transporter room. And then you even get the next-gen theme, Fading into the DS Nine theme, which is yeah. a really awesome like musical light motif as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I had no recollection of this scene, and it's brilliant. Oh. It's so emotionally impactful as well.
1: It's quite, it's quite lovely. It's, it, I like the way that O'Brien feels just a little bit awkward. Like, yeah, it's like I don't really think it's for me to go to the captain's ready room. Yeah, ah. you know, I better, I better just go, and then, but, you, can't yeah, completely.
0: Counter to that, though, the way that Picard says, you know, this was your favourite room that I, I called you down here the other day asking for you just absent-mindedly, and we're all going to miss you. It sort of shows that despite how awkward he might be, he really was an important part of their lives, you know, so yeah. to say that as he kind of departs, it's like, oh, it's very bittersweet, but I like it. Mm. <laughs> At least it's addressed.
1: Um, yeah. And it's nice to have that kind of handover, because all, all those years of next gen and everything and that we all obviously when the TOS movies would go in while the TNG was on the air and everyone was always like at some point, you know, the, the original characters have to hand the torch over. There's always yeah. a lot of talk about there being a, a, a passing of the torch. Yeah. I, I quite liked that it's not really the torch per se because these are separate series that are going to go, but we had that kind of handover, that the handover of Chief O'Brien, at least. If not
0: yeah, because it's, it's it's what you really you, you were denied that I guess between Picard and Cisco, but I think I like that there's at least that there in that scene, so yeah. that's cool. Uh Marco Lemo as gold ducat, just hits the ground running. He's fantastic yeah. from moment one. He's immediately threatening, but that sort of smarmy charm and everything as well. Uh, yeah, loves every awesome. scene with him in. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: uh, I mean, he he he, he done brilliantly over it. A- um, when we first met the Cardassians in the wounded, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it was a good choice because you know he'd already he'd already proved himself as a really uncomfortable, yeah. creepy Cardassian before. And just...
0: It's just such a for me just a, for for all the criticism I've been giving the acting, I think that scene that first scene in the office with him and Avery Brooks, it's just such a really well acted scene. Like you can sense the tension underneath the attempts to be friendly and like your men can stay and be. We use our hospitality, and, you know, Descartes. I used to always love this off as well. Feel free to pop in any time, you know. It's yeah. Of, uh, yeah. Oh, another
1: yeah. bit of, we'll try to keep the dog off your lawn. Yes, <laughs>
0: exactly, yeah.
1: And um, it's great, cause it kind of sets the tone that Cisco has, I think, with Descartes forever, and also, um, I think, to an extent with WayU, There's always mm-hmm. this sort of this polite kind of surface of the conversation, but underneath, you can tell... What's going yes. on? And it's
0: completely,
1: yeah. un, you know, under there. Um, and I love it. It's sort of straight from the get go. It's like he's in there going, "Oh, we're yeah, we just want to be your friends." And Cisco's all like, "Well, you know, we'll that we'll see what we can do." But underneath, you can tell he's going, oh, "Like, I've got no time for your bullshit."
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I appreciate that it's hard to convey like what's under that. And if it was two lesser actors, it would be a, a an inferior yeah. scene. But it's, it's just, I really like not just that scene. I think carrying on into the the scenes with um, both Ducat and the other Cardassian, whose name I forget, who's kind of um, anxiously threatening them on the view screen later as well. So uh, a lot of cool yeah. sort of tension. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I, uh, I love the fact that they basically use sort of starfleet type science to deduce the situation, that something's in the Denorius belt and the history of it. And it's completely undetected by the Cardassians because they're just looking for a quick fix, I guess. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I got, this sort of seems to suggest the Cardassian approach is let's try and break it open and see what's inside.
0: Yeah, although you do um, you do actually have Odo sneaking in full on T one thousand style as the uh, Cardassian's mm. bag of winnings to disable their sensors or whatever as well. So, oh, I love uh, really,
1: that scene. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a really nice thing because you um, when when Kira and O'Brien go in and like break up the party and like Quark's like furious at them. But then you sort of realize, oh man, this is totally, this is all planned. This is brilliant. planned, yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, such clever, yeah. sort of uh, sly little, almost a heist movie esque way of doing things. But yeah, yeah. it's like
1: yeah. When, when he comes out of the back, he morphs from the bag into Oda, and you're just like, oh, brilliant. And it's almost like that bit in Star Trek 2 when um, when you realize, when Kirk's been back from the Genesis cave. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what he and Scott have done. You're just like, ah, oh, things looked bad, but you guys were on top of this the whole time. Yeah, and I
0: love talking about that—that that they have to beam him back, and O'Brien struggling with the transporter. And I just love that it works because he kicks it. He just gives it a swift kick. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "That's not very Star Trek," but I bloody love it because that's exactly what I would do. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, and it's
1: one of those—it's one of those good bits as well that really sets it apart. This is not this is not the clean, perfect technology that we're used to. This exactly. Is, yeah. This is a you know this is a station that we've had to half rebuild in the last twenty minutes already. Yeah. You but know, uh, this, speaking
0: this, of uh, speaking of sort of the technology we're used to looking uh, sort of fabulous and everything, how gorgeous are the runabouts? Whoever designed those <laughs> are just I just the, the shot of it taking off, I actually literally paused and took a screenshot because I was like, this is stunning. Credit mm. yeah. where it's due to the people that do these kind of model or CGI type effects and stuff because ah, it's just amazing. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. And, on a similar note, I think the inside and the exterior of the wormhole are an incredibly well done effect for what, something that could have been very hard to convey because
1: it's such an abstract mm. concept. I, I really enjoy the opening of the runabout bay.
0: Yes, yeah, on the on the docking bay of the, the station, yeah. in the ring,
1: and it comes up, and you don't you get the full reveal on the pad. Yes. Like, oh, that's gorgeous. But but yes, um, I think we would only have we seen a runabout. Oh, sorry, not we've we seen a wormhole in um, the price in series three, next gen.
0: Yeah, but it was unstable, so it didn't look the same because it, it was constantly falling nice about. Well. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm quite glad they just went full out and said, "Right, let's make let's make something awesome." And it's absolutely. Like, Whoa.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I just love again getting into the just the bulk of it, which is the um, Cisco in the wormhole. This for me is where the episode absolutely comes alive um, mm-hmm. because it's 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 Star Trek as espoused by Brooks as Cisco throughout. And the whole idea of a form of life that is so bizarre, they don't even have such concepts as linear time and stuff.
1: Oh, um, yeah. But, it's it's such a great concept. When he's trying yeah. to have this conversation and they're like, before, what's that? And it's like...
0: Yeah. But I love that it's used to... I'll probably get into it a bit more, but I love that it's used to basically, for the very human reason of basically getting him past his trauma um, yeah. as an almost side effect of this first contact with this weird alien species... Um, that's
1: the—that's the, that's one of the really, the beautiful bits of it. Is like you introduce this concept, and you're just like, "How on earth does that even work?" You know, that's like that, that is a mind bender. To, yeah, to, to have to just exist in all moments at the same time, to have no past <laughs> or future or present. Yeah, and then then to turn around and say, "But because of his grief, he doesn't exist in a linear fashion. He exists in this one point because he can't pick, bring himself past the death of his wife." Like. Shh
0: flip yeah <laughs> yeah i know i completely that's exactly more or less exactly what i would have said like i said just um i think the dialogue here there's so many things that i had to note that that are important which is that my species respects life above all else we are the sum of our experiences we live in one point in time um and the fact that i know it, it's it's all about the nature of loss which is really deep and profound and quite human like all the best trek stories um, yeah. and how Cisco says there are days that shape your future that will become important um, and those can be good or bad uh, and I think Brooks acts his backside off in these scenes um, so that he's he's living through his experience while mm. still being the sort of quintessential Starfleet captain educating these aliens and yeah. just the absolute gut punch of them saying well then so why do you exist here and it's Jennifer's yeah. death <laughs> it's like oh not yeah. good um, but yeah, so the fact that he also says, we're aware that um, every choice we make has a consequence. So we use our past experiences. Uh, think of it like competition, and it gets into, of course, the baseball type thing. Um, oh. So it's like when you throw the ball, there are a number of possibilities. And I was like, yeah, if this is giving you the fact that he loves baseball, I get it. I get it.
1: So, <laughs> but that's yeah. so, and, and if you, when you, you've watched the series and you go back and you're just like, yeah, that's so Cisco, it's like, yeah, okay. They've got a completely alien kind of life their entire existence is a different sort of thing to us baseball let's try baseball to kind of find that common ground and it doesn't work and in the end he's just like well the important thing is it's uh you don't know what's going to happen
0: the rules aren't important <laughs> exactly but uh, yeah i love that, that, that again the way they fist things back at him is so cleverly done by it would have been really hard for a writer to have to put them into the mind space of someone that doesn't grasp so like yeah. you value your ignorance of what is to come and Cisco's it is the unknown that defines our existence is again Star Trek summed up in a line really isn't it um, yeah.
1: did, so, you, yeah. um, did you ever get any of the VHS tapes back in when DS9 was coming out and they were being released?
0: I did yeah <laughs>
1: They was certainly in the early series. They always used to put a key quote on the on the covers. They sleeve, did, didn't they? yeah, on
0: the on the back of the, as well, yeah, just yeah. Like before you got in. Yeah, I did. I was um, unfortunately I was collecting the DS9 and Voyagers when there was like two episodes on a VHS for about fifteen pound. <laughs> yeah, so I, did
1: just, uh, cause I, that, I think the Emissary video had that particular quote as you said it, and it's like oh, oh I just, okay it, cool. quotes on the covers. Uh, I remember that I remember the sense. Emissary one. I think I remember the one that was that had. Uh, defiant on it, and it was, uh, you shouldn't go fishing today. Uh, <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> those two particularly stick in my mind.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. I can't remember any of them, but I'm going to probably end up looking that up now. But uh, yeah, so just, just to finish off the whole sort of Cisco with the prophets, um, they, they point out that it's him that's bringing them to Jennifer's death, and he denies himself moving on, and again, it's incredibly deep on a level I never got before now, that he basically says, because I was ready to die with it so i i'd never left this ship i've not allow, allowed myself to to move on because i've never figured out how to live without her um and it's 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 not linear which again it's it's beautifully phrased and put for just basically i can't get over the death of my wife um yeah. but yeah the fact that they, they help him out is brilliant and uh yeah i'll just quickly go through the, the other thing which was the um I love the sort of face-off with the Cardassians and the station trying to move to the wormhole to be claimed. Uh, oh, the fact that it's so tense and mm. every little moment from kind of um, fire the six torpedoes. We only have six torpedoes. We're not going to win this battle with torpedoes, Chief.
1: <laughs> a... Kira is so badass there. She's just She's brilliant. Yeah, she she just comes across like a, a seasoned trek captain, and really, you know, she, she's ready to bluff. She's gonna, she's got no fear. She's taking this uh, this culture hard down. She's yes. brilliant. She's also making unreasonable demands of her engineer, like a starfleet captain would.
0: <laughs> again, though, it's great that you then get O'Brien's in. Bloody Cardassians! I just got the tactic,
1: <laughs> I just
0: love. And uh, yeah, it's a subtle moment again, but Odo getting his moment of kind of humanity because Bashir makes him help. Uh, sort of treating a wounded crewman. It's a subtle moment, but I think it's important for his development later on. So
1: yeah, and yeah. Um, I, was th- I, was, I noted um, René Obringer plays that so well because he's so awkward. Yes, he plays that beautifully awkward. Like uh, I, I don't know.
0: To, yeah, perhaps I should guess someone else. else. No, no, just, just help. <laughs> it's lovely. Yeah, um,
1: and for the fact you've got a full full head makeup mask on you, the emotion he conveys through that is incredible. And just, is just a true. shout out to the acting and uh, running over from the very
0: beginning was amazing. In that role, yeah, I think so. yeah, everyone's really, really good in the acting and everything. But uh, so, right. Let's to the next, uh, the next section, just quickly, um, which is the, as you probably know, the Gene's vision section, uh, which is how does this episode fit into that sort of mighty ideology of Star Trek? Which, uh, again, on first view, you might think it it just sort of flies in the face of that a little bit at first, but. Uh, I think there's enough there. So is there anything that you picked up on, especially besides the obvious?
1: (laughs) I think, well, I think everything we were saying about uh, Cisco and the wormhole aliens um, is the unknown that defines our existence. That totally goes in with um, a famous quote with Roddenberry's. And if I'd been a bit more, had a bit more about me, I would have looked it up for definite. But it's essentially like it was saying that the day that we stop being concerned about our differences and reveling in our differences um, I think and that something's something along those lines about enjoying yeah. and being excited to find find other people and being, you know, the differences between their their lives and outlooks and yours and being able to celebrate those differences. And that's what this you know, Cisco goes there. And says I oh, we look for the unknown. We want to find the unknown and find it, you know, and we and we want to engage with you people who are so different, because those differences don't matter, kinda.
0: Absolutely. So I think
1: absolutely the way Cisco approaches the aliens and, make, and forms that relationship with them is very much in Gene's vision.
0: Absolutely, completely agree. Um, yeah, I'll get to that because I've just basically written down the quote because I think it's perfect, but it's quite long. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, where to start? We've touched on a lot of this, so you can just go back and listen. But um, the idea of sort of uh, Jadzia as a trill, sort of a complex identity and diversity is, is included there as well. Um, the idea of kind of, the science officers are studying things rather than like the Cardassians just waiting for things to happen. Uh, yeah. I like again, the O'Brien goodbye moment with the enterprise and Picard is very sort of, it's Trek in the emotional spectrum, I guess. Um, yeah. Bashir, Bashir wanting to be a hero at little moment, helping him uh, the sort of, I, the bluff and the grit, I guess, of Kira, uh, despite not being a Starfleet officer is very reminiscent of uh, certainly the earlier Treks. Um, mm. And It's very sort of uh, Trek esque for me that I think the whole, Cisco's whole arc in this is a giant metaphor for the depression of like not getting past his grief. Um, So yeah, he he is basically talked through that by the counselors of the the wormhole aliens. So it's cool. But yeah, the key thing is, uh, as I said, and I've just written this whole quote between Cisco and the prophets, this is where it's summed up for me. And it's you value your ignorance of what's to come. That may be the most important thing to understand about humans. It's the unknown that defines our existence. We are constantly searching, not just for answers to our questions, but for new questions. We are explorers. We live our lives day by day, and we explore the galaxy, trying to explore the boundaries of our knowledge. And that is why I'm here, not to conquer you with weapons or with ideas, but to coexist and learn. Perfect. It's yeah. <laughs> one speech that you could just sum everything up perfectly. So 100% to, uh, to Michael Piller, who I think wrote that speech fantastic yeah. work just a summation of everything beautifully so, absolutely yeah um, yeah so what i'll do now then um if you have a conclusion uh and then uh, a score out of five starfleet deltas uh, i will uh, get yours and then give my own <laughs>
1: um yeah so um i mean i think i covered all my main points it's just it's it's a great start to it so um i don't find a great deal wrong um and I, I, I'm kind of known for being very difficult to ever find any fault with any Star Trek, so I'm going to just go in a full five out of five for me.
0: No problem, five out of five. Uh, okay, so my conclusion yeah. is that I said it's a slow and shaky start and it seems to yeah. want to fly in the face of Trek ideology and distance itself. However, it also features the most ambitious, profound, and a lot of intriguing plots, both within this 90 minutes and set up to come later. Uh, a bleak first half gives way to a traditional Trek staple, using sci-fi to explore deep themes of life, loss, and linear existence in very profound and affecting ways. Uh, Some characters are better established than others. For example, Bashir is quite superfluous uh, and has a very mixed bag of acting, but with at least two or three truly moving and outstanding performances. Uh, The writing is complex, intense, intelligent, and very resonant for the most part. The direction is handled perfectly, and the effects are as beautiful to this nerd as ever Uh, A complicated, exploratory, sometimes challenging, but incredibly intriguing start to a series that would be defined by being all of these things. Uh, And I gave it four Starfleet deltas out of five. So the average would, therefore, for the podcast be 4.5 out of five, which uh, places Emissary in second place in our leaderboard so far, just behind the Lower Decks episode, uh, No Small Parts. So... (laughs) So there we go uh very well regarded and received episode so uh before i jump us into the next section then did you have any other sort of uh stories or, or tidbits about uh emissary that you wanted to share
1: uh okay so i think when i first saw emissary um i discovered a local fan group um by by accident which was fantastic um so they met every month um, and they had a little hall the guy organizing it got two tvs set up rigged up to one video and this is what, mm. 93, 94, so I was about 14. Um, and he used to, he had a friend in America who used to basically record off the TV and mail the tapes over. Um, <laughs> so there was no chance of watching Emissary or, or any of DS9 for ages, unless unless I had Sky, which I didn't. Um, so this was a, it was a fantastic bonus for me. And I was absolutely in love with it from the start. But this was also during that point where TNG had come off BBC mm. after Best of Both Worlds. And so, we're at season six of TNG, and I've got no idea what's happened after Best of Both Worlds. So, for me, it was almost like, Best of Both Worlds happens, and then DS9 starts with the Battle of Wolf 359. I was like, brilliant, I know what's going on here. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I didn't know anything about the Trill. Um, like, um, I didn't, I don't think I even knew a brand got married. So, um but yeah, um, it was a great, it was, I would sort regard episode both highly in that I think it's an excellent, but also it was kind of a new chapter in that I discovered a group of fans, whereas before I'd been sort of, it was me and two or three friends, school friends who watched Star Trek Absolutely. and talked about it. So it was like, almost like, it was my first step into having a wider fandom group, which then obviously grew later when I started doing conventions and Twitter and the Star Trek Twitter community. So yeah, i got very fond That's memories awesome. of it from that because just because it was a it was a it was almost, it's like a brand new chapter in being a star trek fan for me so. oh that's
0: fantastic to hear I, I do like to hear people finding the uh, sort of similar fans and stuff to uh, interact with i will finish us off then with the final section of this episode uh, which is what i call subspace communication or audience interaction section um i posted a tweet literally an hour before we started recording because i had forgotten asking for people's opinions on emissary and bizarrely enough i have actually had quite a few replies to it um so slap on the wrist for me for forgetting to actually post it earlier in the week but thank you to everyone who i will shout out now who's replied Uh, and i'll just quickly go through it the first one here is at where's the oberth uh who says emissary is my favorite star trek pilot hands down Also one of my favorite episodes. An interesting concept, executed fantastically. With TOS and TNG, it always took me some time to warm to the new captain. This gave me that connection with Cisco pretty much instantly. Okay. Uh, At Enigma Nought says, I love Emissary. It's a sharp story with a smart premise and a powerful emotional arc for Cisco. I've watched it over and over. Great. Uh, at James Brummel says, in my opinion, it's the best Star Trek first episode out there. It's the only one that delves deep into a character's development and says something about human nature. Yeah, couldn't agree with that um, that more. So at Eclipse 1982 says, it was great. It provided so much background for Ben Sisko and made me like him so much. He was a troubled human rather than the other captains with tragic events shaping who he is and what he later became. Uh, just a couple more. Uh, at Rogue Moog says it was slow on my first watch, but it's so much better knowing the ending of the series. It's incredibly profound and so very Star Trek. Cisco trying to explain linear time to aliens is about as high concept as it gets. <laughs> and uh, finally at dog food for chair says I liked it a lot. It drew me in. People say the early seasons are slow, but without their world building and characterization, the impact episodes in later seasons wouldn't resonate as much. So, yeah, I think, uh, Pretty much uh, a lot of uh, universal praise for the episode, not a lot of criticism. It's the odd niggles here and there. So, uh, excellent. That will uh, wrap up our deep dive into Emissary. And just remains for me to say, it. thank you so much for joining me. Apologies for keeping you for so long, Rick. It's been, uh, it's yeah, been fantastic. It's we been fantastic absolute pleasure. Oh, awesome. I've really enjoyed it again, because I could just spend hours and hours speaking with like-minded uh, Trek fans when we get going. Did you uh, did you want to shout out any of your sort of socials or anything to people? Uh, to... <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm always up for talking any Star Trek on on Twitter. So I'm at TrekFanRick, um, and I should probably do a cheeky plug for my own podcast at Absolutely, Backwood, yeah, um, which is uh, just a discussion podcast. We talk about various Star Trek themes and ideas uh, fairly randomly, normally with a little bit of um, silliness involved. So Yeah,
0: <laughs> and very Thanks good to this too. Thank uh, you. Absolutely. Uh, Awesome. Yeah, well, uh, and uh, as usual, you can find me at Iron Mike Wilson on Twitter, uh, or the podcast is at HOM Trek. That's at HOM Trek, like Mr. HOM. And we will be back next week. Uh, Next week, I have a busy schedule because I'm recording a film podcast on the same day, but I am still recording the Trek cast. And I will be joined by the wonderful Julianne, or J.A. from Twitter. And we will be reviewing the Star Trek Picard episode, Nepenthe. So... Do join us again for that. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, thanks again, Rick and uh, everyone else. Remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper.